Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hello there, good evening. This is Russ Williams, Spencer Oliver alongside me. Welcome to a brand new series if you're a boxing fan. Fingers crossed, we hope you're going to like it. It's called Fight of My Life. How are you doing, Spence? Yeah, Russ, really well, thanks. Really looking forward to this series, by the way. We've got some massive names of the sport, and we're going to sort of be going behind the scenes, things that people didn't know, talking about the fighters, the build-up to the fights in their dressing rooms, you know, what happened after the fight, during the fight. It's a really exciting series we've got here. And the good news is we're starting with a British world champion. Tonight, we'll be speaking to this man. Dazzling, Darren Barker. I was driven. I had this obsession to to dedicate everything to my brother. Well, it was conventional wisdom coming in that maybe Barker had a small edge in power. Hard right hand by Barker. You've been lying to yourself. You can't do this. You're not good enough. You're going to let your brother down. And I just had a bit of a panic attack. He didn't get hit, the other guy got hit. Eddie Cotton is talking to Giel as though he's the one who absorbed the low blow. It was Barker who absorbed the low blow. At the time, I didn't know if he'd messed up or he might have seen me do something. And down goes Darren Barker. It was crazy, the vision, you know, I had my brother, I could see him basically saying, get up, it's so close, come on, come on. Well, that's taken everything that I've done, Barker, what a disaster. And Giel knows that the finish is on here. He must know this is it. Barker's got to hit back. We'd all been on a journey together. Though it's an individual sport, it was a, it was a team effort. This we all we all played our part. Okay, Spence. Before we hear from dazzling Darren Barker, who's with us on Fight of My Life tonight, what fight are we going to be talking about specifically? And how do you sum up Darren as a fighter? 
Well, Darren Barker was an unbelievable fighter. He won British, Commonwealth, European, and then went on to win the world title against the guy we're going to be talking about tonight, Daniel Gill. It was August the 17th, 2013. Barker, as I said, had a brilliant career and had some tragic circumstances in between his career where he lost his brother. He was going to walk away from boxing. He decided not to. He decided to dedicate the rest of his career and winning a world title to his brother, and that's exactly what he'd done. And there's a point during the fight, Russ, where Darren Barker gets visions of his brother when he's on the floor from a body shot and he gets up somehow, he finds a strength from somewhere and he goes on and he lifts that world crown. Spence, you've set it up perfectly and it's a very warm fight of my life. Welcome to Darren Barker. How are you, Darren? How are we both doing, lads? Yeah, we're yeah. doing good. Uh, let's start at the very beginning, shall we, for the fight of your life. It was the Gill fight. How did it come about? Well, do you know what? It, if I go back a little bit, so I was I was out the ring for 14 months after I lost to Sergio Martinez. And then my first fight back uh, was against a guy called Kerry Hope. And that was for the IBF Intercontinental title. And what what these titles do, they, they basically put, push you up the rankings in that governing body. So... Uh, after beating Kerry Hope, I must have gone into the top 15 or something. And that put me, you know, close to having the opportunity to fight for Daniel Gill. He just defended his title. I can't remember who it was against, if I'm deadly honest. Um, so he, and that was his mandatory uh, defence. So that allowed him then to have a voluntary defence, which means you can pick someone in the top 15, I think it is. Um, so... Luckily for me, I had a very good promoter in in Eddie Hearn, and um, he done he worked his magic with uh, Daniel Gill's promoter Gary Shaw, and uh, and secured the fight. I remember walking over the Golden Jubilee Bridge, I think it was, right opposite um, uh, Royal Festival Hall, where my mum had just uh, got a mature student degree uh, in midwifery, and. Uh, I knew I was very close to getting the fight. And um, as we were walking over that bridge, I was on the bridge right near the embankment end. And uh, Eddie Earn called me. And I remember telling my family, he said, oh, Eddie's calling. Is it either going to be good news or bad news? And um, I answered the phone. He said, yeah, you got the fight. And that was it. Yeah, Darren, you know, you previously had a world title um, opportunity against Sergio Martinez in 2011, a couple of years before. After that fight, which you put up an excellent performance against, you know, at the time, pound for pound, one of the number one in the world. Um, did you feel, one, did you feel that you learnt a lot from that? Yeah, definite, definitely. Um, I've, I've said it before, you know, like, you, you, I'd sparred with world, uh, world-class world fighters, elite-level fighters, but sparring's not the same, as you well know, Spen. Uh, you know, nothing can compare to that actual fight on the night. So, I, I don't know... I didn't know then how good I really was. You know, I was unbeaten. I'd sparred with all these good guys, Frotch, Kezer, etc. But just didn't quite know how good I was. Um, so I went into that fight. It was it was the unknown. But, you know, it was a gauger, really, to see how good I was. And look, I put up a good performance. I got beat. Um, but I, I guess I knew that I was good enough to mix it with that calibre of, of, of opponent. But I think... The aftermath of that fight straight after was kind of 
you know, I was content with what I'd achieved. You know, I'd won the, mm. the Southern area, British Commonwealth, European. And I was like, well, I fought for a, a world title, the best in the world. That that would do me. I was struggling with injuries at the time. Um, I remember the last run of the of of the the last day of the camp. Uh, my hip went. I couldn't run. I had to stop running, and um, I was just like, you know, if this doesn't go my way, this could be my lot because uh, I was mm. struggling bad. I had elbow injuries, blah blah blah. But um, yeah, I was, like, I was kind of content. But I did learn a lot. I learned a lot, and it wasn't. It was just I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I was good enough. So I think that was what got me back into the gym. I, I had my second hip operation after the Martinez fight. And I thought, right, I'll give it one more go here. And and so like you say, you had two hip operations, which is, you know, career threatening for any fighter. We know that the body starts take, getting wear and tear. You boxed as a young kid right the way through uh, top level. So you, your body was obviously feeling it at that stage. Mm. How did the training camp go compared to other other training camps? You know, compared to the Martinez training camp, was it was it as good? Did you have to change things? Yeah, it, good question because I think I I was one of the last of the old school fighters in the sense that it's all I, I caught a, a bit of the new and I had a lot of the old. You know, when sports science and and being able to change the way you train, you know, all this strength and conditioning and things like that, you know, like you would have done it, Spend, you know, it was pretty much just body weight and circuit training, weren't it? You wouldn't really lift any weights or nothing. And mm. I was sort of in a transition where I went from the old school to the new school. So with the Martinez fight, it was quite, um, I was pounding the road still. I'd had one hip operation done, so I was managing to, to run until that last run. I said, you know, the last uh, run completely done me but you know it, it was kind of old school so I was pushing my pushing my body to the extremes in the Martinez fight whereas for the Gill fight I'd, I'd give up running I didn't do any more running because the, the hips just wouldn't allow it and I started swimming but I found swimming harder than running I, I really do because you know if you're running and you get to a point where you're exhausted you just stop and that's it, you know, you start walking. But with swimming, if you stop swimming, you sink. So you're constantly having to, to go, do you know what I mean? You're constantly having to push yourself. And I was doing hard spars uh, for the gill fight, so I knew I was fit enough. Um, the, camp went, the camp went blinding, look, you know, as well as it could have. At that, that late on in your career, you know, I'd had four cortisone injections in my left uh, elbow, three in my right elbow. So my, my elbows were playing up bad. Hips, not so much because I was in the pool a lot. But, yeah, like, if I would have lost that fight against Gil, I certainly couldn't have had any excuses. You know, I, it was a good camp. Who were you sparring, Darren? Do you know what? I um, I did I did a bit with everyone, you know, Frotch was about. I did a lot with Frotch, but Gil stylistically was nothing like Frotch. Um, so that wasn't really wasn't that beneficial there were some people in the gym but there was a guy a guy from peckham called dago burton right and he's one of the toughest geezers i've ever come across because you look at his record on paper and you you'd say well, you know why why are you sparring with him no disrespect to him but he, he hadn't performed he hadn't won nothing uh had a you know sort of win some lose some record but he was so tough he wouldn't stop coming and those who have seen the Gill fight or anyone knows about Daniel Gill knows that he's got an engine on him and he don't stop fight, uh, throwing punches. So we wanted to get someone who could replicate that and this this Diego Burton could take a shot. He didn't stop throwing shots. I'll tell you what, in that camp as well, it, uh, the sparring he was doing, he was on Ramadan. 
He wouldn't even have water during the breaks. And we were doing like eight, <laughs> four-minute rounds and that. He wouldn't even have a sip of water. Um, it was incredible. And he would just come out and he would keep coming. And don't get me wrong, like I say, I was flying. So I'm throwing like 100 shots of, around in this bar and he, he would keep coming and keep coming. And that helped me in good stead. It really did, you know, having to... I guess I knew I was proper conditioned because I weren't. St- I didn't stop throwing shots in the sparring. So I knew training had gone well. Uh, and I knew, though it hadn't have been the highest quality of sparring I ever had, I knew it was it was it was good for for this fight. Did you do anything else in yeah. the training camp different to to before Darren? Yeah, yoga. You know? I'd done yoga. Um, I'm like your natural position when you're boxing is you've got a curve in your back. Obviously, you want to lean forward, you want to get your chin down. So you see most boxers are hunched at the top of the back. Well, I think through the years of boxing, I've I've put a lot of pressure on the my lower back, being being tallish. My back plays up bad, my lower back. So I thought I'd in, introduce uh, yoga into my training, and, and that helps a lot. One of the biggest things um, for the gill fight, though, that um, we introduced was the, the guy I did the swimming and the yoga with, a guy called Wayne Lil. He... Um, with him, he used to do this thing with me after after swimming. He used to get the noodles out, um, and he would lie, lie about four of them out, and I would lay down, exhausted on these uh, noodles, floating around a pool. It was an empty pool, and um, he would do this guided meditation with me, and he, you know, he would just remind me that this was my journey. You know, this is the the final piece of the jigsaw. You're meant to do this. this is your destiny. Blah blah blah. Basically, feed my ego. <laughs> It made me feel good about myself, but I tell you what it done. It, it did. It did. Um, it did help a lot because mm. I think when you're boxing, you're no spend. Obviously, when when you're on training camp, you spend a lot of time on your own, and uh, sometimes when you're on your own, um, the demons can appear. The, the negative thoughts can start um, creeping in, and that that's what would happen now and again. But with Wayne giving me that sort of guided meditation, if you like, and giving me this uh, confidence, it was kind of what I would take take away from the sessions when I am when I was on my own so that was a big big adjustment and a big change good left hook for Darren Barker right hand lands up top for Barker and another I see Barker landing some very precise punches with a lot of uh, shock on him I don't know how Gill is going to hold up to him but Barker is definitely landing the better punches right now. A good left hook by Barker, followed by a double jab. You're listening to the Fight of My Life on Talk Sports. Spencer Oliver and Russ Williams here with our special guest this week, and we're about to get into the real meat of this program. It is Darren Barker, dazzling Darren Barker, as he was known in his career. And it's great that you've managed to spend some time with us, and we're very appreciative, Darren. Um, before we get down to fight day. We have to talk to you about the loss of your brother, Gary. It was a car accident, wasn't it, in Mm. 2006, uh, completely out of the blue. One can only imagine you and the rest of your family and the devastation that you felt. Given that you'd fought for a world title a couple of years earlier and just come out the wrong side with that uh, late KO, this was now a world title fight for a middleweight world title what effect did the way you thought about the build-up to this fight, apropos your brother Gary, 
what sort of a difference did it make to your preparation, particularly mentally and how you were feeling about, I guess, a bit of unfinished business? Yeah, well, he he, he definitely made the difference, if I'm honest. Um, I was driven. I had this obsession to, to dedicate everything to my brother. When he passed away, I'd only won the Southern Area title, so everything after that was dedicated to him, so the British Commonwealth European... Then I had the opportunity against Martinez like we've talked about and it didn't go my way and I thought, oh, I've dedicated as much as I could to him. And then the, the sort of dust settled a little bit and as time went on after that Martinez fight, a, a void kicked in and I started feeling less content. And then this desire to give it one more go and try and, and win a world title for my brother uh, really kicked in and... Yeah, it, it was just a, a real driving force. Look, I, I would give everything, every title to have my brother back, um, do anything, anything, but it's not possible. So my thinking was, well, look, I can give everything, in, I can do everything in his memory. And and that was, that was the real um, motivation for the second half of my career. And second, certainly that for that fight, I guess that's why... It made that fight, and I guess my career as a whole, when you look back, more amazing, I guess, because there was that that sort of heartache, that despair in my career. That it was that that story, and I like, I think boxing does a lot of the time create really good narratives. You know, you get some brilliant stories in. In, in boxing and, and mine though it was very sad it, it was I'd like to think an, an alright one you know a good one and, and it and it ends happy you know it was um, it was complete everything was complete and I was aware of that when I was training for Gil and fighting for Gil I thought you know if I could do this though I was in pain physically and mentally if I could just get through this camp win the title that's it that's you know that's the cherry on the cake. That's it. It's done. It's mm. Done. Darren, I'm obviously I know know you and your family. We've known them, you know, since day dot really. And I knew Gary very well. Gary was a an old training partner with you as well, wasn't he? Mm. You and Dar you and Gary trained together, and it was tragic what happened to Gary. It was such a you know sad time. And I remember speaking to you about it afterwards, and you was prepared to walk away from the sport because obviously Gary was your training partner. It was someone that you you know was in the gym with day in and day out. And it was a difficult time for you, and it was something that you nearly walked away from, weren't it? I mean, boxing was something you nearly walked away from. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with your brother, Danny, you know, it, when you've got someone, mates in boxing, it makes it less difficult. Like, boxing's the hardest sport in the world. I don't care what anyone says. You know, it's so demanding on your body, and mentally, it's, it's tough. And if you've got someone close by that you can share all your emotions with uh, and talk to, it makes life easier and I was fighting, obviously lived in Barnet. I was travelling to, to Repton in Bethel Green so I had someone, a companion to sit with me and chat and have a laugh with and, you know, this was, we'd go to the gym most days, me and Gary and um, it just, um, he was more than a brother, you know, he was uh, one of my best mates for that reason. But yeah, like when he wasn't around, it, it just becomes so difficult. Oh, I had this desire to, dedicate everything to him it was just hard it was hard and there was that contentment as well that I'd achieved everything but a world title and I was just like I don't need this this is just uh it's just harder than it was 
Let's take you, Darren, to the day of the fight. The camp has gone well. You, you, obviously, as you mentioned already, you had your injury problems. You were in pain. The sparring went well. Obviously, your brother was very much in your mind. And there you are on the morning of the fight. You wake up in bed in Atlantic City. Do you remember how you felt? Did you wake up and think, oh, my goodness me, I'm going for a world title. I'm really under pressure now, not only because of the sporting implications, but because, you know, you had Gary in your mm. mind and, and you wanted to do it for him. Uh, did you did you see it at all like the last roll of the dice for you? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, mad, I remember. So let's rewind again to, to getting the announcement for the Daniel Gill fight. Hadn't been signed, but I'd been told by Eddie Hearn on that Golden Jubilee Bridge that the fight was going to happen. So from that moment, I think it was exactly 14 weeks to the day I had, uh, which is a long camp, but we'd already already been in training. So we, you know, ticked over for a couple of weeks after the announcement and steamed into it. But for 14 weeks, I was absolutely adamant that I was going to be a world champion. I was, you know, I was so confident. I trained like a nutcase. I could say the camp went well. Everything was. I was just so driven. Uh, because I knew if I if I would have lost it would have been would have been my lot. I wouldn't have continued. But I just thought it was my destiny and timing was right. I wake up the morning of the fight, like you say, and <laughs> all of a sudden I had this huge cloud of negativity just cover me. And um I was like, you know, the pressure I, I just mad mixed emotions. It was just like you've been lying to yourself. You can't, you can't do this. You're not good enough. Uh, you're gonna let your brother down, blah blah blah. And I just had a bit of a uh, a panic attack. And um, I had everyone out there. I had my family, uh, and I also had obviously my trainer Tony Sims, who, who I couldn't have achieved anything without Tony. To be honest, there was a lot of characters, uh, people, and characters in my career that have helped so much I couldn't have achieved I wouldn't have achieved what I did and Wayne Lill who I said that did that guided meditation he was one on the day because he flew out with his son and um, that morning when I woke up feeling completely negative and at a loss I guess I rang up his son I couldn't get through to Wayne and I went JJ quick you're gonna have to get hold of your dad and get me in my room sharpish because I'm having a wobble here the next, I don't know, 10 minutes after, there's a knock on my door. And it, Wayne walked in. I went, Wayne, I, I've, I'm, I ain't going to win this fight, bro. He went, calm down, calm down. He goes, lay on the bed, shut your eyes. And he just started doing what we've been doing when we were training, you know, just doing a bit of guided meditation, just saying... It, he, it was clever what he'd done. He, he, he basically uh, described this fight as a book and each round being a chapter and he was sort of going through how I would be feeling and how I would be approaching the rounds and I'm winning the rounds. Blah, blah. And it was just at the end of his little chat, I was just, I was back in the zone. It was a mad, honestly, mad, mad uh, wobble that I had. But by, I guess this was about lunchtime, I was back in it. Do you feel that that added pressure was, one, you knew you was coming to the end of your career. You knew that probably it was the last roll of the dice because of the injuries that you were sustaining mm. in the build-up and everything else. So you knew your body was packing down. And, and two, because obviously you turned your focus onto winning a world title for your brother. That was your like sort of ambition and drive. Because you said previously, you know, you'd won the British Commonwealth European. Any fight would be happy to mm. do that. But then there was something else that wanted to drive you on. Do you feel that that was added pressure 
Croatia there, um, you know, wanting to win that yeah. world title. And that was maybe the drive that, that pushed you on through the fight. Yeah, you know, with that, with that pressure, I was at peace with it at this point. I was like, right, I'm here now. Uh, I'd had the little wobble and I was just, I was just, it was more confidence than panic at this that stage you know there was nerves you know spend it's mixed emotions before a fight you're nervous you're scared you're excited there's a bit of everything can there but at this point i was i was i was i was confident there was the nerves don't get me wrong but i didn't feel any pressure at that close to the fight you know i was kind of just in the zone and i remember um the reason i mentioned the changing room is because everything was going well and then there's a fighter meeting that you have after the weigh-in on the Friday. Uh, it's the day before, and you get a chance to try the gloves on and that. But I never used to go to him. Tony used to go to him for me. He'd try the gloves on, uh, and it was always fine. But on this occasion, he we went. He wrapped my hands. Everything was great in the changing room. I had my, you know, my brother there, Lee. I had a couple from the gym, Martin Ward, Ryan Taylor, Luke Chandler. It was just um, brilliant. It was a great changing room. I, I was happy. I was, you know got wrapped up, started slowly warming up and you get to a point where it's time to glove up and I remember putting the first pair of gloves on and the lining on the thumb was so tight. I, I've got really weird long thumbs <laughs> and uh, for some reason, <laughs> that, like it was just, the, the. I think there's a bit of both. The fact that I've got weird long thumbs and the fact that the glove is a bit of, bit of a default really. So I said to Tony, I can't wear these. They're, they're too tight on the thumb and... Um, you get two pairs of gloves, so they went and get the other pair of gloves, and it was the same thing. I was like flipping out. Well, I don't know, I have to, there's nothing I can do. I don't have to wear them. And that was a little bit of a panic. I was thinking, blimey, what you know, what am I going to do? But I, luckily enough, when the bell goes, you switch off from that, which I did. But at the time, I remember putting the gloves on, thinking, this is a nightmare. You start the ring walk. This is where the business side of it really does start. What are you thinking? I was, do you know what? I was buzzing. You always get the, the the nerves are really kicking in at this point, but so all the other emotions. And I remember getting down there. I'm, you know, my second fight in the states, uh, second world title fight in the states. You know, confident. It was a nice crowd in the in the casino. It was a lovely venue, and um, Michael Buffer again. Those uh, most know the story, but when I fought Martina uh, Martinez, sorry, um, Buffer. Called me Darren Baker. Here's the undefeated challenger, dazzling Darren Baker. He's a Hall of Famer. He's the governor when it comes to ring announcing, and you want him to get your moment right, and he didn't, and I was gutted. But when I'm stood there and he announces me to come to the ring, he got it right. Then my song come on, it was you 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which was correct, you know, it was good. I kind of was listening to the words and thinking, yeah, this is, you know, I haven't found what I'm looking for, but I'm, I'm that close to doing it. And I got in the ring and uh, I'd always uh, sort of little, it wasn't really a superstition, it was a thing that I'd do. I'd always test the, the tension of the ropes. So I'd go to each side and sort of lean back on the ropes and I noticed this, Aborigine guy in the middle of the ring and he started playing a didgeridoo. Gil is extremely proud of his Palawa tribal Aboriginal heritage and therefore there's an element of, of ceremony that goes into his entrance. Let's join that right now. Honestly, this 
bloke playing his didgeridoo, it went on for about, I don't know, 10 minutes. But you think how long 10 minutes is when you're stood in the ring. You, you know, it seemed a lifetime. But it wound me up. It got me, give me that extra little bit of percent, a bit of aggression. I'm kind of, I like to think I'm a bit of a laid back character. And sometimes that was a bit of a downfall for me. You know, I'd, though I'd be fired up, I could, I needed a bit more fire in my belly. And that Aborigine, <laughs> he, uh, he give me that extra five percent, and Daniel Gill come to the ring, and Buffer announced it, and off we went. Coming up on Fight of My Life on Talk Sport. It was crazy the visions, you know. I had my brother, I could see him basically saying, "Get up, you're so close. Come on, come on. You can do this. You can, you can do this." A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Welcome back on Talk Sport to Fight of My Life. My name is Russ Williams and with me is Spencer Oliver. And the star of the show, or the radio bout tonight, is dazzling Darren Barker. We've done all the build-up, some fascinating stuff in there. But now we're going to get into the fight itself. Round one in a world title fight, particularly when you've been in one before, Darren, that it didn't go your way a couple of years previous. Is it just about settling the nerves? Yeah, that that's spot on, spot on. And I think as soon as that first bell goes, that you go into sort of like, well, I used to anyway, it was almost like you hypnotise, you go into a bit of a trance, it's like, right, bang, someone's done, switched the the on button and off you go. 
we had had a, a game plan, obviously, in training camp, and it was to aggressively outbox Daniel Gill, hold the centre of the ring, work off the jab. I had a nice jab, I'd like to think, and, you know, be busy with a jab, but always have the last answer. After about a minute into the first round, it just you you can watch all the tapes you want of someone, and it's not until you get in there you realise how someone can be completely different or a lot more awkward. With him, he, like he had a knack of just taking this gliding in and out of range, and I found him very difficult to to land from from distance. So I I instantly thought to myself, look, I'm gonna have to get on his chest, get too close to Daniel Gill to nullify the the quick feet that he had and that was it and I remember getting back after the first round like you say glad that I've got it out the way right I'm in the fight uh, and I just said to Tony look he's he's um he's more awkward than than we thought mate uh, I'm just gonna have to get get close to him I'll move my head I'll, I'll make sure I don't get caught or nothing but I'm gonna have to sort of get up to him and try and outwork him beat him at his own game you know I'd like to think I, I was doing a doing all right at it. You sort of surprised, I think, their team, and you surprised us as well because we thought you was going to go go there, feel your way into it. But you actually met fire with fire early mm. and started loading up early, and you got success doing that. I think you won the first three rounds by outworking a guy that's known for outworking his opponents. But then we get into round four, and something very strange happens in round four. Gil hits you low with a right hook, and he hits you with a low blow. And the referee breaks it up, and I mean, pick it up from there, Darren. Tell us what happens. <laughs> it's a mad one. Just I'll say that that uh, referee was Eddie Cotton. He refereed my fight against Martinez as well, and obviously got a bit uh, excited about what was happening, and got a bit confused with who actually got caught with the with the shot. But I tell you, it was a bad low blow because um, I could hear at the end of the round they obviously showed it out to the the crowd, and you can hear them going, "Oh." Because I knew when he hit me, like, I, I would never make a fuss. You know, you never want to show your opponent that you're hurt, even if it's from an illegal shot. So I try my best always to put the blinkers on and, and put on my poker face. But I couldn't without it really, really hurt. <laughs> and, uh, he's going over to Gil, but he's saying to Gil, sort of, are you right? Take your time, take your time. Where well, I'm in the other corner thinking he's giving him a telling off. And then he come over to me and he told me off. But I, at the time, I didn't know if he'd, messed up or he might have seen me do something I weren't sure so I instead of being mouthy and, and, and saying to the ref no, no you've got it wrong you've got it wrong I thought I better just keep my mouth shut and agree with him because I don't want to get a point taken off or anything and yeah it was it was a it was a strange moment so the fight went on and little did you know Darren that when the bell rang for the start of round six what a life-changing round it was going to be for you the negative side of it in the fight was that you took a terrific body shot that would have knocked an awful lot of fighters out. And, you know, what's going through your head whilst you are wincing in pain? Um, Eddie Hearn said that he remembered the count got to seven-ish and he didn't think you were going to get up, but get up you did. But just describe that pain. Uh, it's just, you know... Terrible when you get winded. I think if you get hit from a headshot, you can recover quite quickly unless you're knocked out. You don't get hit by a headshot and think, ow, that hurt. But with the the body shots, you know, you can't breathe, so you're in agony. And um, it was just a nightmare because I was doing so well. I was in control at the sixth round, though the rounds were close. You know, there weren't much in them. I I just thought I I was doing well and had a bit of a lead going into that round. And then yeah, I just I was just in agony, and 
I don't like to over-dramatise or, you know, sort of make out, you know, I'm making it sound more Hollywood than it actually was, but... You know, it was it was crazy. The visions, you know, I had my brother. I could see him basically saying, "Get up! You're so close. Come on, come on. Um, you can do this. You can, you, you can do this." And um, I could see my daughter, my, my firstborn, Scarlett Rose. I just, my dad. You know, I I wanted to achieve everything for my dad as well. You know, like he was my hero, the the person, the reason why I got into boxing. And that just, it was, it, that nine and a half seconds seemed like nine and a half days, nine and a half years. It was just like, you know, you hear these um, near-death experiences where people, their lives flash in front of them. It was it was like that. And I had all of them thoughts. I had the pain and I got up and that was it. I was still in a lot of pain. I couldn't breathe, but um, I wouldn't be stopped. Darren, just to take you back to when you were on the canvas and, and you said that you had a vision of, of your daughter and your and your brother Gary, was it like a, a, a in-your-head vision or did you look into the crowd and, and you could no, see him it, incredibly? It was, it was in my was head. It, what was he saying to you? It was, in my, it was in my head. I had my eyes shut looking at the canvas, uh, eyes shut, head sort of facing the canvas and I can remember it clearly. It was, um, it was a vision of him that was kind of happy it wasn't like you know it wasn't like um a panic version of my brother it was like come on you're close you're doing well come on it's only you know it's only a, a bit of pain get up I remember it was kind of a a blissful experience I was in a lot of pain it was um it was crazy there was no panic uh and, it, and it's mad because I don't remember listening to the count I must have been subconsciously obviously to to time it that well but it was just like a blissful kind of experience. It was mad, but I get I timed the the uh, count probably a little bit close because the referee was could have could have waved it off, but I managed to get up and that was it. It was kind of right. Let's uh, let's get back to what we were doing. But I was in so much pain, I still couldn't breathe, and he's coming over like a lunatic trying to knock me out. It was um, it was a uh, it was a tough sort of minute or so, and the referee nearly jumped in, and somehow somehow I just started throwing shots it's kind of I, don't, I can't really remember um what i was thinking at the time but i just thought well, look I've, i might as well sort of mix fire with fiery i'm getting punched so i might as well try and punch him back and i managed to and there's a moment at the end of the round the bell goes and i put my hands up and it's basically me saying look you had me on the brink there and you couldn't get rid of me. Let's see what you're made of now. And I've put my hands up and say, look, I'm I'm going to win this fight. And he sees me put my hands up if you watch it back. And I think he thought, what have I got to do to beat him? I had him on the brink and he come back firing. And it was a big moment in the fight. The way Darren Barker has recovered from that body shot, which paralyzed his legs and put him down, you don't see it very often. No, you should sure don't. You stole his soul right there. Mm. And round seven was an incredible one for you. You just turned it around. And, you know, I, I just visually remember the crowd going wild because of this amazing comeback that you'd done. Do you feel from then, round seven, that you had this fight in the bag? Yeah, I, I did. Um, like I say, that moment I put my hands up, I thought, right, I'm back in this. I felt fine. I'd recovered. Uh, I'd put a dent in his soul, like you said. And funny enough, the seventh was probably my best round, well, one of my better rounds in the fight. Uh, funny enough, I, I went back to the original game plan. I started kind of aggressively outboxing him, like 
you know, I wanted to do, me and Tony set out to do in the first place. But, you know, I started boxing well, got the jab moving a little bit. I was getting the final answer. It was a good, good round. And I think at the end of the seventh, I asked Daniel Gill a lot of questions, you know, a lot of a lot of questions he had to answer. Like, wow, you know, I've I've nearly knocked him out and he's still there and he's come back with his best round. At this stage in the fight, I kind of was... I didn't know what round it was. I was having to ask Tony or look at the ring card girl to see what round it was. I was just... It was fought at some pace and, and, I, and I didn't want to worry myself with looking at the, the round too much. Like, I would catch a glimpse at the ring card girl or ask Tony, but I didn't... I was just thinking I'll take it round by round. I guess I had to in, in a fight of that pace. It was, you know, I just had to be so switched on, on, on the present, that, that moment, as opposed to what I'm going to do in, in a couple of rounds time sort of thing. Round 11 was another even round. You get into mm. round 12, Darren, how did you feel the fight was going? Did you think you was in front? Did you think you'd done enough? Yeah, I did. But like you say, I was the away fighter, if you like. Though Daniel Gill was from Australia. We was on a Gary Shaw promotion. Uh, he was the home fighter. This was a, this is an American debut, if you like. He had a fan-friendly style, and I think he wanted to really make his name in the States. So I knew it was going to be tough to get the nod over there. But I knew I'd, I was doing well going into that last round. I did think if I, if I could hear the final bell, I should get this. I should get it. But I knew it was close, don't get me wrong. At this point, I was exhausted. I really was. And I was so thankful it was the last round. I remember getting up thinking, you know, thank God this is round 12 because I'm, I'm beat here. I'm, I've, I've given this everything. It was some, it was some pace. And you, though it doesn't really look like it, but there was a lot of thinking that I, in that fight. And that can be exhausting as well, you know, when you're, when you're having to say so switched on for every second of every round. Daniel Gill won the last round, I'd say. You know, he comes on strong and he and he and he nicked it, but I still thought I'd I'd done enough and I, I was proud of myself at the final bell, but I was I was nervous <laughs> awaiting the decision. You felt that Gill won round twelve. So Darren, we're at the end of the fight. There you are, both fighters either side of the referee. The referee has got your arm in his hand. Can you remember what was going through your head when the judges are reading out the scorecards? Oh, just just I was I was very nervous, which is strange at the end of a fight because you're usually relieved, which I was, don't get me wrong, there was mixed emotions, but I was nervous again thinking my career's this is it, yeah. You know, if I don't win this, I won't box anymore and I won't have the opportunity to to have finished the jigsaw which was completing the my career on behalf of me and my brother and finishing every piece and you know I'd won everything else and this was the last thing so if I didn't get the nod that was it though I would have been content I would be sat wherever I would be sat I probably wouldn't be doing this this interview right now but you know I would have been content but there would be a little bit of a an unfinished feeling for forever. So I, I was nervous. I was nervous waiting for it. But again, there was the feeling of being proud as well. And when he reads out the scores, uh, the first one, 115, 113 to, to Gil, and I was ugh, thinking, oh, I, I probably won't get this now. And then the second one, I think it was 116, 111 to me. And I thought, well, possibly it's a little wide. Um, but I'll take it. And then on the last one, Buffer reads out 114. And, and usually when you when you hear 114, 
it's going to be followed up with a one fourteen, which would make the fight a draw. And my first feeling was, oh, this is a draw. Oh, gutted, but at least I'll get another crack. Because I remember thinking it was, I think that must have come across as a decent fight. They'll want to see it again. If we happen, you know, if it does happen again, I'll make sure I beat them in the return. So I'm thinking, ah, oh, it's going to be a draw, gutted. And he says 113. I thought, wow, someone's got this. And there's um, there's a brilliant moment, if anyone watches it back, when the, when the scorecard's been announced. Uh, my brother Lee, who's an absolute legend, he, we had him on board for, for all my big fights. He used to do some of my cooking and that, and he used to just help me and look after me. And like, it was so nice having my brother there. Like, I can't thank him enough. Basically, you see my brother on the ropes, he's on the ring apron because we had him as the third in the corner. And um, he had seen Buffer's scorecard, so he knew I'd won it. So he sees the 114, 113. He goes over to, you see him sort of go over to where my dad and granddad and that was sat. Uh, and tells him he's he, he's got it he's got it but I remember Lee telling me after he goes I thought at that moment when I told him that you'd won the fight what if I've got this wrong and uh, I don't get it so he had a little bit of a wobble there but you see him like he's really excited face run over to my my dad and say he's got it, he's got it then Buffer says I knew and it was just just um, a mad feeling because a lot of people say you must have been so happy well the initial feeling that went on for a few seconds was I was upset like sad upset because I had my brother Gary on my at the front of my thought thoughts every single day when I was in training every single day I was thinking of my brother thinking about dedicating this title to my brother and um it was almost like when I'd won that title for that moment it was almost like I was letting go of my brother and that memory that obsession was kind of gonna fade and it was a sad moment and that's why I sort of dropped to the floor and I started crying because it was almost like me saying bye it's, you know it's sad it does me in a bit even thinking about it now that's not the case you know my brother's got he's my screensaver on my phone I think about my brother all the time but it was like my my life's work had been completed and it was kind of saying bye and it was it was a I was upset I wasn't sad don't get me wrong like I wasn't gutted or upset I've I've used that word before when I've described this but that that wasn't the word it was just it was upsetting letting go of my brother then the positives started kicking in you know like we've done it though it's a small piece of history we're we're there I'd like to think that my my kids 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 will say you know my great 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 granddad was a was a middleweight world champion he did it for but his uh, brother Gary would have been my great, 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 you know. So I've left my mark for both of us and it was just, it was a great aftermath. It was, you know, going to the press conference and paying my respects to Gil as well, thanking him and uh, all my family were there, you know. Just everyone who meant something to me was there, you know. My dad, seeing him, seeing how much he meant to my dad, the reason I did it, and my family, my granddad, my uncle, my mum, my dad, every, like just everyone there, just crazy, you know, just so, such a nice, nice feeling it was. Yeah, the emotions, Darren, were absolutely incredible. You saw Eddie Hearn crying, Tony Sims, your trainer was crying, everybody that you took over to America was crying. It was one of those moments that I, I will never forget. I was in the studio working that night, we was all crying, it was one of those, and it was just like... It was just a, a magical moment in boxing, if I'm honest. I mean, what was that feeling like, Dale? Once, you know, you like you say, you'd celebrated out in the ring, you get back to the dressing room. 
What happened back in the dressing room? You know, what was the what was the general buzz in the dressing room? Who was in the dressing room with you? Oh, well, everyone, you know, so I had my, some of my family in there, Tony, obviously, and Peter Sims. Peter Sims as well played a big part in training camp. I can't leave Peter out. He, he you know, he was, uh, he played a big part. Mark Seltzer, uh, all these people. It's so hard to name everyone. Um, but they was all in there and we were just, we were over the moon, you know, all of us all just, Buzzing. I I wasn't jumping around like the rest of them because I was shattered. But we were just so, we so you know we'd done it. We'd all been on a journey together. Though it's an individual sport, it was a it was a team effort. This we all played our part. Everyone played their part in helping me win that title. I couldn't have done it without a single one of them. So it was just yeah. The celebrations were brilliant. I remember the uh, that night we all went for a couple of drinks, a couple of light hours. And um, I kind of flakes after about two beers. I thought, oh, God, I go bet I'm shattered here. After the press conference, we'd had something to eat. Then the time we had a beer, it was about four in the morning, three in the morning. And I was just like, oh, God, I go bet. The next day, we was all travelling back in this big stretched Hummer limo that they'd put on for us back to New York where the rest of my family were flying out. And I was staying for a couple of nights. It was great. You know, it was I was just on top of the world. I remember going back, flying back to to London and having to do a photo shot at the top of Lily White Sports Shop in Piccadilly, right at the top, and just thinking I was king of the world. You know, just it, it was just I'd, I'd done it. They're both celebrating though, but you never know until you hear those judges' scores read out. For the winner and new. Welcome back on Talk Sport to Fight of My Life. Spencer Oliver, myself, Russ Williams, and of course our special guest, dazzling Darren Barker. We've been through the fight, Darren. Is the IBF middleweight champion of the world. Just thought I'd remind you of that, Darren. I love it. And uh, it, it was wonderful to listen to your story before the fight, during it, and, of course, what happened afterwards. And now, of course, you did fight once again um, about four months later, didn't you? Lost by a TKO to Felix Sturm, but now, of course, retired from, from boxing. Uh, have you found it difficult to cope without boxing? No, absolutely not. I'm not going to get punched in the face anymore. Um, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been easy. You know, as soon as I won that title against Daniel Gill, um, I, I became content. You know, I'd achieved my life's work for me and my brother and my family. Um, I went into the Felix Stern fight full of confidence. I thought I could win the fight, but I just, that hunger, that desire just wasn't there anymore. The body packed up. I, like my hip popped out of its socket during that fight, which it could have it could have happened in six previous fights to that, and it was a shame that I I couldn't go out on a win. But look, I I, I achieved more than I ever dreamt I would. So in that sense, I'm content. I'm at peace with boxing. I'm 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 over the moon with what I managed to achieve. Like I say, I'm in the I'm in the history books, and so with my brother, it, it's sort of boxing's done. It's this it's a box ticked. Um, don't get me wrong, I'll always miss it. I'll always miss the glory of winning. I'm naturally very competitive, so it's been hard not having that outlet for me to channel my personality into. But still, it's been easy. You know, I've 
I've got a couple of boxing gyms, uh, fitness gyms, 12 frees that have been keeping me busy. I do a bit in the media uh, with Spencer. That's, that's you know, great to still be involved in the sport in in some capacity. So I get to go to all the big fights and I'm a massive fan of boxing. Uh, I've got three kids, one on the way. Um, so I, life's, I, I, I pinch myself. You know, don't get me wrong, I didn't, I come from a working class family, but didn't want for anything, you know, had a great upbringing. I've got a great family, but, you know, life's just, life's really good now. You know, it's it's brilliant. You know, I've got so many good people in my life. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. And what I will say is the, the memory of my brother is still there. I speak, uh, you know, I speak to him every day. I think about him every day. And one day I, I look forward to seeing him again. Your brother Gary is intrinsically linked, isn't he, with the Gill fight and, uh, you know, what happened during round six. Would it be fair to say, Darren, that that sixth round of your world title winning fight was the pivotal moment of your career? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. There's been some big wins I've had in my career, but that that moment is what, you know, when I get if I if I ever get stopped, it doesn't happen that much anymore. <laughs> but, um, that you know, that's what people say to me straight away. How did you get up from that body shot? And uh, someone tweeted something the other day saying, you know, one of the uh, most memorable or remarkable comebacks from a getting put down from a body shot. And it, you know, I, like, I, yeah, it was a big moment. But it was a moment that enabled me to kind of having ha- have this contentment with boxing and and ultimately being able to achieve that belt and that honor for my brother so yeah it was yeah a a a massive moment a massive moment for me i've got to say mate it's it's, it's listen it's been a fascinating chat with you taking us through that fight i've heard that mate. story before of course because we're good friends you know, and I could listen to it time and time again. I think it's so inspirational to anyone listening to boxing. The hurdles you had to overcome through your career to achieve what you achieved is is absolutely incredible, mate. And, I, I, you know, I've just got one more question that I want to ask you, Darren. I think we're going to ask everyone on this series. If there was anything different that you could change through your career, what would it be? <laughs> Do you know what? Like, uh, it's a boring answer, really. It's like it's not. I, like I say, I have no regrets other than the fact that I like I struggle now. I can't run now because of my hips. Uh, I've got bad back. My elbows are a little sore. So I think for me would have been to to look after my body better when I was fighting. You know, use the correct trainers. Like I say, you know, we didn't have much when I was younger. We certainly weren't running in under a pound per. You know, under a pound pair of trainers. What I should have been. You know, running in plimsolls and boxing boots, and. um I think that was probably the reason that I damaged my hips. And I just wish I'd have looked after my body more. You're so sort of caught up in the boxing thing that you, you're not thinking about life after it. But that would be my only regret. You know, like I, I grew up, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm partial to a swift half. I like um, having a drink and socialising with my mates. And I, I, was, I was able to do that when I was boxing. I, like, I, 
I always kind of thought that a, a world champion would have to be like a, a monk that lived in the Himalayas that didn't have any distractions or anything like that. But I did have distractions. I did go on my lad's holidays. I did ha- celebrate birthdays and go out and, and still play football. And, and like I, I have no regrets. I've, there's been fights that I've lost and I think, oh, I wish I could have tried harder. But they're not regrets. The only regret I have is sort of having the niggles I've got now. Um, so I could have probably spared them a little bit if I looked after myself. But... Oh, well. <laughs> Darren, life is good. It's been a fascinating hour talking to you about the Gill fight and when you became the middleweight champion of the world from the listeners, definitely. Ed, our producer, all of us here at TalkSport, myself and Spencer particularly, we thank you very much indeed for coming in. This has been Fight of My Life with Darren Barker, dazzling Darren Barker, as we like to call him, middleweight champion of the world. Keep listening. Plenty more boxing life stories on Fighting My Life on the way for you. Until next time, from Darren and from Spencer and from myself, it's goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.